Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Introducing Kaidi Rodriguez. She's a former Miss New Jersey turned psychotherapist. Today, we're going to talk about how beauty is more than skin deep and how to build some confidence. Kaidi, welcome. I would love to know how you know you got involved in pageantry. Well, I started pageants when I was about four years old. I did my first pageant when I was four years old. And the funny thing is that my mom says we did that first one and she didn't want to do any more with me after that because I was trying to run the show and tell her how to do things. So I was like wagging my finger at her and saying, no, you do it this way. So after that first pageant, we did not do any more pageants until I got to college. So we would watch the Miss USA and Miss America pageants together, and it would just kind of be a fun thing. And I would look at it and I would say, you know, I would love to be able to do that one day. It's so glamorous, but, you know, you don't really take those thoughts seriously. But then I went to college. I did a few scholarship pageants in college. I didn't win any of them, but I had a really good time. You know, I'm a Leo, so I like to be on stage and things like that. It was a lot of fun, but I didn't win anything. And then after I graduated, I remember one day looking at the Miss USA pageant. Like I said, it was a yearly thing that we would watch Miss USA and Miss America. Sidebar, I went for Miss USA title because Miss America has a talent portion and I'm not a performer. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't do any of those things. And I was watching it one day. I was like, you know what? They're saying they're accepting applications or whatever the process may be. Let me go for it. Why not? And that's kind of my approach to a lot of things in life. Like, just try. Put yourself out there. See what happens. That was 2008. Did not win in 2008. That's what a lot of people don't know. And then I went back for 2009. I said to myself before I did the pageant, if it takes me all seven years that I will continue to be eligible for this pageant, I'm going to do it because this is something I'm meant to do. And that year I won, but I haven't done anything since then. So it's been a good 10, 11 years since I've been in the pageant world now. Well, congratulations, first of all. Thank you. That's amazing. And I just was thinking about like, you took a big break there. I think when I was four, it was more my mom's thing. Like, let me put her in it and see how she does. But once she saw I wasn't coachable, she's like, nope, we'll just watch them on TV. And then we watched them together. And when I went in college, it was my decision. I was like, okay, I want to do this. So. Did you get coached? So for my college pageants, I did get coached. There's a coach, his name is Cyrus Frakes. He actually, he had a show on TLC called King of the Crown, where he would coach, he coaches beauty pageants. He got me into shape. He made me into a beauty queen. Yeah. Tell me what is involved in becoming a beauty queen. And were you ever asked any questions that like threw you for a loop? No, I haven't really had any questions that threw me for a loop. What's required in becoming a, a beauty queen, I would say one is, is confidence, you know, so you have to be able to have stage presence and know what you're talking about and be able to connect with people. 
And this is part of the reason why I wrote my book, because, you know, I, I have my own personal experience with, with confidence and building confidence. In addition to that, just discipline. So one thing that's, you know, a popular kind of saying in the, in the pageant world is that more parents can say that they have sons that are in professional sports like the NBA, NFL, than can say that they had a daughter who went to the Miss USA pageant. So it's a very rare thing. You know, only 50 women get to do it every year. And while on the surface, people think that it is beauty and glitz and glam, it's actually a lot of, lot of hard work. It's a lot of confidence. It's a lot of discipline. The women that I met during the pageant were some of the most talented, intelligent, ambitious women that I ever met, you know, so it's not just about beauty, external beauty, but there's a lot more that comes with that package. What's so interesting too, is like, I feel like they make out title holders to sound ditzy sometimes. I think a a few years after I won, Katie Upton, she was the girl who was asked a question about, oh, I forgot what it was, but she was a teen competitor going on Miss Teen USA. And she answered a question and they would not let this poor girl live it down. But think about it. You're about 17 years old and you're on stage in front of millions of people. It's one of the most important moments of your life. And they ask you about something concerning history. A lot of us would probably flub it, you know. It's more than, you know, just being able to look pretty up there, pretty on stage. You, you have to be able to think on your feet. And every once in a while, you know, there's going to be a misstep and that's okay. Yeah. Did you see anybody trip on their gowns or anything like that? In the Miss USA competition, the woman who was Miss USA, she went to the Miss Universe pageant and tripped on stage, you know, in her evening gown. I think it happened two years in a row. She got up and like clapped and kept going. (laughs) So you have to have that resilience, right? God love people like that. That's actually happened to me before. I once fell down a flight of stairs in an evening gown. It wasn't for a pageant. I was just at a banquet and I just kind of laid there for a second. And then I laughed and got up and went to the bathroom. (laughs) I'm quite a klutz. I remember one time I was about to give like a huge presentation and my heel got stuck in between the elbow. Oh my goodness. So literally like I walked in with half Mm. a shoe, you know? (laughs) So you mentioned that you have a personal story with confidence. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah. So in order to put yourself out there to go for, you know, something like a Miss New Jersey, Miss USA, you have to have a level of confidence to say, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and try. And so I've always had that one level of confidence being my ability to to do difficult things. I had confidence in that within myself. But what I've learned through my experience as Miss New Jersey and going to Miss USA, and also in my experience as a therapist, working with clients and also working through some of my own anxiety and perfectionism issues, is that the next level of confidence is really about accepting yourself where you are, how you are, regardless of your performance or whether or not other people accept you. So it's easy to be confident when you're winning. And when people like you and when they're accepting you, but the next level is being able to say, I still have worth and value regardless of how I do and regardless of whether they like me. Sometimes we're going to fail 
And a lot of times people will define themselves by their accomplishments or they define themselves by their finances or, you know, what their circle looks like. That's okay if you're doing well, but what happens when you inevitably fail? And so for me, I want Miss New Jersey, but then when I went to Miss USA, there was a lot of criticism. There were people who felt like I didn't deserve to be there. There were people who called me racial slurs. And if you look at my crowning, which is still on YouTube to this day, you'll see the comments, you know, say that I look like animals and all kinds of just nasty things. By the time I actually got to that competition, I was already starting to second guess myself based off of what people were saying and all this pressure I put on myself to win because it's like I had something to prove and I didn't win. You know, I was putting all that. I think part of it is that I was putting all that pressure on myself. And so I've learned since then that you want to go beyond just thinking I can do it. But the next level is like, I'll be okay if I don't. And I'll be okay if they don't like me. How did you respond to being called an animal? I cried. Like I said, it was in the comments and they have these pageant boards where people who follow pageants will make their predictions and have all these conversations about what's going on in the pageant world. And I was told not to look at them, but you know, you look anyway. It really got to me. And I was 23, 24 at the time. And that was the ugly side of pageantry. I would never want to take away that experience. You know, it was once in a lifetime and I I grew a lot from it. I mean, I was able to impact a lot of people during that time, even still to this day, we're talking about it. But it was difficult in that regard that it made me question myself. Do you think that's helped you as a therapist? Yeah, absolutely. For one, I can speak to my clients who they all kind of identify as high achieving perfectionists. I share in that experience. I know what it's like to compete. I know what it's like to be judged. You know, it's one thing to tell people don't care what other people say, but when your job, you're, you're in a constant state of judgment. You know, I've worked with actors and artists and, you know, people who are constantly being evaluated. So I know what that's like. And I understand it both from a personal and a professional level. Like what other things did you have to learn for the presentation? We had to do a lot of connecting with the camera, the dances. That's probably it as far as what we had to actually learn for the production. Now you said that because you were in the pageant, you got to make a bigger impact. Do you feel like people who enter these pageants think they're going to become like overnight celebrities? I think that some people do. It can certainly be a path to the entertainment industry. You know, a lot of girls who have won have gone on to become actresses or hosts on like ETV, news, things like that. It definitely opens the door for that. Some people do it because they know they need confidence. That's not the the driving force for, for everybody. For me, it was because I wanted to be able to have a wider reach and influence on girls, teenage girls, and to be able to be a role model. My degree is in social work. I have a master's degree in social work from NYU. And initially at that time, I my vision was to create a nonprofit youth center to be able to work with urban youth. I've done that. I've created a nonprofit, but I really had a passion to equip girls and women with the tools for success. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's huge too, that that was a dream of yours and and you made that happen. What did that look like? 
I didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) but I knew what I wanted to teach. What I did was I came up with this curriculum. The name of the organization was the Role Model Group, and we ran it for about five years. Our goal, our mission was to equip them with self-esteem, with character and leadership skills by using the influence of the fashion and entertainment industries. You see them start to blossom when you're putting them on these platforms, these girls who were once shy or didn't like to come out of their shells. You take them and you put them on the front and they really started to blossom. But the other side was also teaching the character. So what do we do in difficult situations? How do you develop integrity? What does leadership look like? So that was what the curriculum looked like. Every year we would take 10 girls and meet with them once a week. At the end, we would have this big award ceremony called the Charm Awards, where we would give awards to, you know, them for how they evolved throughout the course of the program. Was there anyone that like sticks out in your mind that you feel like you really made a difference for? Oh, absolutely. I still speak with a lot of them. A lot of them are doing really well. We have some that are in PR. We have some that are moms now in their 20s. We have some that are in fashion. They're doing a lot of big things. So I'm proud of them. That's amazing. What made you want to do that? It was my background growing up in my dad lived in Patterson, New Jersey, and Patterson is pretty urban. You know, a lot of the kids in in Patterson and in those urban environments don't have resources and they don't have an outlet or something to ensure their success in the future. So that was always just on my heart to create avenues for urban youth to be able to be successful. What was your relationship with your dad like? It's good still to this day. I mean, he's, I'm a daddy's girl and he's a worrier, but outside of that, you know, that my dad is my heart. I say, my dad is my heart. My mom is my ride or die. So she's going to be in my corner, no matter what I'm doing, what crazy big endeavor that I'm doing. That's awesome. My heart of gold. What was your childhood like? Do you have any siblings? See, I have a younger brother. My childhood was interesting. So like I said, my dad lived in Patterson, New Jersey, which is urban. My mom lived in Bishopville, South Carolina. That's what the situation was when they met. And they were married and they're still married to this day over over 35 years. But for the first 11 years or so of my childhood, they were married living in two completely different states, New Jersey and South Carolina. So I would spend summer times, you know, my mom's a teacher. So summer times we would spend in New Jersey while she was on break, Easter vacation, winter break. But throughout the school year, when, when class was in session, we would be in South Carolina. And the reason was just like work stuff. It took some time for us to all live under one roof. Although my dad wasn't always in the house with us, I knew I was loved. You know, we saw each other regularly. Sometimes we would meet in the middle, Virginia. Yeah. So I'm a little bit of country and a little bit of city. (laughs) Wow. That's fascinating. And I feel like that would be so hard though, as a kid, like not to be able to run to the other parent when you wanted to pit them against each other. I don't think I knew any better. Like it was just kind of my situation. And, you know, I was used to, I I lived with my grandparents. So my mom was with my grandparents at the time. So if I wanted to get away with something, I could get away with something with my grandparents. Then I hear you have four kids. So as a parent, you know, like it's, it's not easy. The kids that you were seeing, were you able to turn their lives around? Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So I think, well, for one thing, as a therapist, what I've learned over the years is that you can't take responsibility for like fixing someone because 
no one wants to feel like they need to be fixed. So I look at my role as a therapist as like kind of like a midwife. So like I'm literally holding your hand while you're going through the most difficult times in your life and just being present. And then of course I give tools and things like that. But for those kids, I believe I gave them tools. We gave them tools and that's what I do with my clients now. I give them tools and then I hold space for them to feel how they feel. It's okay for you to feel anxious. It's okay for you to be, feel sad and allowing that as opposed to trying to convince them that they shouldn't feel that way. That's the healing thing. It's not trying to turn them around, but it's just meeting them where they are and helping walk them through difficult times. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I've been to therapy myself. We're looking for people to understand us. And so if you as the spouse or the parents can recognize within you what the fixer in you looks like, your relationships will be a lot healthier. Even your relationship with yourself, because if a part of you is struggling with sadness or disappointment or feeling like a failure, and you just go around trying to fix it the whole time, you're trying to fix it as opposed to sitting with the sadness and understanding what it's about, then only then can you heal it. But if you're fixing it, you're just trying to cover it up. And so I think that all of us need to be more aware of parts of us that may try to fix everything and, and work on not getting rid of it, but just getting it more into balance and we'll have healthier relationships with ourselves and with other people. What do you still want to do? I want to travel the world. I want to have a family. I want to buy a house. Yeah. Have you been doing telehealth because of COVID? Yeah, I have. I miss seeing my clients in person. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about the book and what that was like putting it together? So the book is called The Confidence Project Journal. This is 52 journal prompts for women who want to build their personal strength and overcome self-doubt. You can complete this journal, whether it be one entry a week for a whole year or, you know, back to back daily, whatever works for you. And the idea is focusing on your strengths and learning about yourself. What are the, the good things? What are the positives that you bring to the table so that you can operate from that place of strength and that inner knowing versus our flaws, what we call the negativity bias. So it's kind of an evolutionary thing. And so that's why it's so easy to focus on what's wrong. And that's just not a good mental space to be in. And so part of the reason for the journal is to train and condition your mind to look for what's right, what's good, what's strong in you so that you can build more confidence. And as a therapist, journaling is a tool that I recommend all the time. It's a, it's one of those, those tools that, you know, I, I recommend it for the kids and I recommend for my clients now because it helps build a personal awareness, your self-awareness. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, let people know how they can connect with you and buy your journal, where to find it. So the journal is available on theconfidenceprojectjournal.com, T-H-E, confidenceprojectjournal.com. You can find me on Instagram at Heidi B as in boy Rodriguez. Same thing on TikTok. I, I like to play on TikTok. Okay. That's awesome. Do you want to do like any kind of fun, better call daddy intro, kind of like you did for Wendy Williams? This is Kaidi Rodriguez, and I'm going to be sharing with you all about my new book, The Confidence Project Journal. I'm a former Miss New Jersey turn psychotherapist, and I'm so excited to be a part of the Better Call Daddy podcast with Rena. <laughs> that was awesome. Nailed it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this is so much fun. So, Daddy, what did you think? 
a very interesting interview you have with Katie Rodriguez. Here she's a Miss New Jersey. We even had in our family, as a half-cousin, a Miss New York. I found where it right away brought back the memory that I was getting some chess lessons from Greg Kadenoff, who's one of the super grandmasters that came over here from Russia. And I was very friendly and had tapes from Zinzi Kashvili, who's also a, a super grandmaster. And I was taking lessons, tapes, practicing. And with that type of lessons and encouragement, I ended up with some tremendous results. I still played lousy at times, no question. But they had a wild card way to become a master if you could win seven open tournaments with a master rating. What was crazy is that your crazy father did it. He won seven open tournaments with a master rating, which would qualify me as a life master. When I went to the World Open to get my title, they took me completely off guard. I did something that was the first, that nobody had ever done that as a player expert to become a master through the wild card method. And they badmouthed me. They called me all kinds of names, that I was a disgrace to the system of how masters earn their uh, master title, and that I would get lucky or be a hacker or just got hot, and that I played terrible chess most of my career and nothing to deserve that type of title. So isn't that funny that you can become a Miss New Jersey, compete in one of the biggest stages for a Miss America contest. But the fact is, is that here's a beautiful woman with many talents. And these girls have unbelievable talents. It's a lot of work. It's not luck. It takes an enormous amount of energy and encouragement and confidence building to be able to make these type of accomplishments and then to be ridiculed and called names. Isn't it funny? Now, when you're up there and you accomplish something marvelous, but not knowing all the details and not knowing the person and not knowing all the variables that people very easily can criticize and badmouth you and try to take away what you've accomplished. It hurts. It does hurt. It hurts terribly because it really was a turnoff to me where I haven't really played competitive chess since. But we can't let people get us down and we have to keep moving and experimenting and growing and bettering ourselves. Right. The other thing that had really motivated me to keep playing chess again a little bit was my daughter, Stephanie, was the first female in Kentucky's history to win the Louisville Open. She tied for first. They were supposed to change her trophy. They gave her the second place trophy and gave the boy the first place trophy. And they never fixed it. Okay. Never made a big deal out of it. But she tied for first place for the high school championship and won the individual Louisville chess championship where she played some unbelievable chess. And her team at Ballard went to nationals and they finished in the open section 11th, tied for 11th. An unbelievable accomplishment where her whole team was upsetting players two and 300 points higher than them in every round. It was just an unbelievable type of achievement. And you don't badmouth an achievement like that. The truth of the matter is, is that any of us and all of us have that type of potential if we're encouraged and we go for it. And if our confidence is very high and you're playing at a, an extremely high level, anything is possible. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin 10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best, you want to get in touch with Ren10 Media. Reach out to info at R-E-N 
10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah. <laughs>